0: You're listening to Reach MD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Thomas Bursault, President of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Kaskell and presented by the National Lipid
1: Association. My guest today is Dr. James Ehrlich, currently the Chief Medical Officer of Atherotech, Inc., a leading cardiodiagnostic company based in Birmingham, Alabama. James is also an authority in the integration of imaging, physiologic, and laboratory technologies with conventional office-based assessment. Dr. Ehrlich, welcome back to Lipid Luminations. My pleasure. Thank you. Most physicians, as you know, do a nice history. They do a good physical. They do the appropriate lab tests. They might do a stress test to assess risk, although I don't know what that really accomplishes, and they think that's enough. Do you?
0: Well, my experience has been that the office-based examination in the sense of cardiovascular disease assessment utilizes the Framingham risk score is completely inadequate.
1: You can flip a coin and have a better result than using the Framingham risk that's score. That's right,
0: and it turns out that the overwhelming majority of the cardiovascular disease burden is in people who would have been considered at low risk, not even intermediate risk, by Framingham. So, for example, 82% of women who sustain a cardiovascular event in the United States would have been considered at such low risk a week before their devastating event that they wouldn't even qualify for pharmacotherapy. So we obviously can't rely solely on a history and physical. And it seems to me amazing that the same physician who would never consider telling a patient who's 50 years old, you don't need a mammogram, I know you don't have breast cancer based on my physical, or you don't need a colonoscopy, still has trouble adopting higher-tech types of tests for assessing cardiovascular risk, which will kill 10 times more women and breast
1: cancer. Well, I think that's because we've been brainwashed that if your lipids are fine, that's all that matters.
0: That's right. And I think physicians pretty much feel that they know who's at risk in their practice. And so I challenge physicians on the next 10 patients that show up in the emergency room, <laughs> mm-hmm. calculate the Framingham score and be humble and say, how is it that this is a person I played golf with the other day or and yes, they were a little overweight or they had a little hypertension, but obviously... How could I have known that they were at this high risk? And I think we need to be much more humble as physicians in recognizing that the history and physical, which are important, and laboratory tests, conventional laboratory tests, still don't give enough information for individual risk assessment. They're really only good for populations.
1: Well, you were a pioneer in terms of doing electron beam computed tomography. And uh, initially when it came out, all the cardiologists poo-pooed it. And it seems like now they're all coming around and saying this is a good test for assessing the burden of disease.
0: Well, yes and no. I think the interest has been in CT angiography. And this has brought in a large group of cardiologists and radiologists who had formally dismissed the value of plaque imaging. Unfortunately, a good percentage of them are still luminologists. They're fascinated by CT angiography because of the gorgeous pictures that can show stenosis and have somewhat neglected the value of looking at atherosclerosis or looking at calcified plaque and the hundreds of studies that have looked at how predictive, including the recent MESA trial, how predictive in every major ethnic group the calcium score is. So there are physicians that are getting more interested. Certainly hospitals are doing this much more commonly with the multi-slice scanners. And I do see a gratifying increase in acceptance. Unfortunately, managed care has not... Uh, yeah, they,
1: the, they won't pay for a $150 test.
0: They still won't pay for this, and that's been depressing.
1: All right, I, a real case. Uh, I had a patient I saw yesterday. He's been on Vitorin for probably 10 years. His lipids are fine. He had an EBCT two years ago with a calcium score of 1. We repeated it. I got the results today. His calcium score now is 10, two years later. My understanding is that you should see a progression of 30% per year, so he should really only be at, you know, about 2. Am I correct?
0: Well, not really. And it turns out you are correct, but the problem is is that a score of 1 could easily be a score of 0, and that you need to understand that somebody goes from a score of 2 to a score of 4 has not doubled, so there's a concept of interscan variation. I co-authored the only publication that can determine, with only a 1% false positive rate, whether a score going from, let's say, 2 to 10 represents true progression. Or is it just interscan variation? And so this is a formula that's published in a radiology journal. We use it for most of our research because, as you can imagine, we really want to tell a patient whose score went from 3 to 6 that, I'm sorry, you've doubled. Mm-hmm. It turns out that that's well within the accuracy of these technologies, and the person may not have changed at all.
1: All right, so he's coming in next week. What do I tell him, 1 to 10?
0: I would tell him that it's now likely you do have very, very mild, we call it minimal, up to 10, atherosclerosis. And I would reassure this person that the fact that it is minimal and we're going to treat you at least as aggressively as I would have treated you if you didn't have the scan itself. And if it's a young person, and that score of 10 is greater than average for that young person. For example, a 40-year-old woman should have a score of zero. And so a score of 10 tells us that they have a process that's going on more aggressively than it should be.
1: If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Lipid Luminations. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. My guest is Dr. James Ehrlich, and we are discussing high-tech approaches to assessing vascular risk. James, what makes a smooth muscle cell in a coronary artery decide to transform itself into an osteoblastic-like cell and make calcium?
0: Well, this is a very, very complicated story. And there's actually some people have spent their lifetime on vascular calcification mechanisms. What I can say is that it's now understood that as opposed to what we learned in medical school, that calcium is sort of a degenerative process, it is actually an active, regulated process of bone formation with osteoclasts and osteoblasts and messenger RNA for osteopontin and osteonectin. And so it's a lot more complicated and this represents true hardening of the arteries. And we should think of calcification as a marker for atherosclerosis because one of the common criticisms we get is that, well, that represents stable plaque. We really have to look at it as the tip of the iceberg. When you see an individual with calcified plaque, it keeps company with a lot of plaque that may be vulnerable to rupture. So it's a marker for a situation. It represents an active process of laying down plaque, probably healing attempts, and eventual calcification, and that it may not be a stable situation at all.
1: All right, let's talk about some cool things on the horizon. What are you most excited about that you have seen that can be used in the office setting?
0: Well, one device that we've used successfully looks at arterial compliance or resistance and simultaneously looks at central aortic pressure. What's been very clear in the literature is that if a patient of yours has arteries that are stiff, they're at considerably higher risk. But what has been uh, somewhat new has been the idea that individuals with identical blood pressures have very, very different vascular hemodynamics. So, for example, the conduit artery function evaluation study, the CAFE study, a substudy of the Anglo Scandinavian cardiac outcomes trial, or the ASCAP trial showed that two different blood pressure-lowering regimens produce different effects on the central aortic pressures despite similar effects on blood pressure. So the StigmaCore the device that we use is able to distinguish whether you're really lowering blood pressure and lowering central hemodynamics when you give somebody a blood pressure, and it's able to help determine which therapies would be most fruitful. So we can't regard somebody with a blood pressure of 120 over 80 as having the same hemodynamics as someone else with a similar blood pressure until we look at their central hemodynamics.
1: What's new in endothelial function and dysfunction that we can assess in our office and then can it actually help us guide therapy?
0: Well, we hope so. In fact, what's new is that endothelial function, which was always considered a research test that cannot be done in an office, and it's true that the B-mold ultrasound technique, looking at flow-mediated dilatation, is a very good technique that can only be done reliable by certain centers. Now there are two office-based technologies that allow the clinician in their office to get a sense, very simply, of endothelial function, which is really the most sensitive indicator of vascular health. One is a technology from Israel called the Endopat, that has a considerable literature associated with it, not only validating compared to gold standard like acetylcholine injections into the coronary arteries directly, but also in validating its comparison to various risk factors and how it correlates, very similar to the B-mold ultrasound literature. And that's using their proprietary autonomic detector called peripheral arterial tonometry. It has some advantages over conventional endothelial function testing because you're able to distinguish the difference between endothelial and non-endothelial-dependent flow-mediated dilatation. The other device that we're um, looking at is very new from a company out of Houston called Endothelix, and the device is called the Vendis device, and it has a different way of looking at endothelial function. It doesn't use flow-mediated dilatation. It's looking at thermal reactivity after a stress which would release nitric oxide. And we're now exploring as a company, AthroTech is exploring a relationship between this company and Diadexis that makes the lppla 2 test. In developing a program called CardioNexus, which would be the first office-based suite of coronary risk assessment tools that any physician could use in the presumably low or intermediate risk patient to further stratify their risk. So, we're looking at the combination of vascular function, so physiology, and important biomarkers. And so, if a patient is thought to be low risk and does very well with all these other tests, then maybe that's a person that doesn't need any further testing like carotid IMT or corny calcium. There has been a criticism of the SHAPE program that perhaps we are being too cavalier in screening everybody who's middle-aged with either corny calcium determinations or carotid IMT, and this could act as a filter for physicians in determining really which people should have an examination anatomically of atherosclerosis. So it's a new way of risk stratification to help answer the problem of Framingham, and it's also a better way of determining who needs uh, further testing.
1: James Ehrlich of Atherotech, thank you for coming on and telling us uh, what's new in assessing vascular risk. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Lipid
0: Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, visit www.lipid.org.